Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have, even if it's just for an hour or two, to, to be with uh, your people, uh, to worship you, uh, and to, to think about our faith in you and, and how that impacts our lives. God, above all, above all this morning, um, I ask that you would speak to your people, that we would walk out of here with more hope than when we walked in. We love you, Jesus, and, and it's a mystery. It is a mystery how you've loved us and cared for us, but we thank you for that. We ask that you be here this morning. In your name, amen. I have a question for you all. Are you the kind of person that feels things deeply? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Um, are, are you the kind of person that, that asks yourself regularly, what, what's happening? Um, I turn on my TV unfortunately, and I ask myself that question a lot. What is, what is happening? Does it feel like life seems to be coming apart at the seams sometimes? Um, this week felt that way for me. Uh, this week was busy, and I had a lot going on, but, but in the back of my mind, I had this constant nagging, what is happening? I was standing up here just a few weeks ago, um, one of the most difficult messages I've delivered, and I spoke about the, the, the situation in Las Vegas. That was powerful. That was a tough week. Well, here I am again. Tough things in the news. Tough things have happened. Um, another tragedy. This time it's in Texas, Sutherland Springs, Texas. It's a rough week for a lot of people. And this can all be overwhelming. Um, and I, I bear witness to that. There's been times this week I've felt overwhelmed, um, not only with the, the burden of the pain of the situations in our country and, and across our globe, but with the responsibility uh, to come in here on a Sunday morning and to encourage. Uh, and that was my first mistake. That's not my job. My job is to bear witness to what God is doing. And, and I think that he will encourage us this morning. But it all can be overwhelming. So the question is, how do I handle this? Every time I seem to turn on the television, there's another story. There's more tragedy. There's more pain. And I ask myself, what's happening? What is going on? How am I supposed to handle this? I think some of us probably just don't turn the TV on. Sometimes we just put the phone down and we just kind of want to live in our own little world with not paying attention too closely to the outside events. It feels like we're in mourning, yet we're not really in mourning because we don't know the people. Now, if you're feeling some of those things, um, I think this series is for you. And I, and I can't take credit for that. I think that's the way God orchestrated it. This series um, is called Bonded. Um, and, and ironically, not ironic, uh, uh, amazingly, God has set up a, a passage, a, a passage of scripture for us this morning that I think if we look closely at it, we will be able to draw hope from it. I want to kind of be the place that we're real with each other, that we're transparent. I never want to hide my emotions from you guys. I want to be real. And um, sometimes that's hard because the emotions that I feel, and this is one of those weeks, are, are not pleasant. <laughs> They're not comfortable. They're not easy. But this series called Bonded, it's, it's a seven-week series on Philippians. And the passage this morning is, is very timely. And, and I think, I set it up uh, some time ago. 
And, and as it comes down to it, I had no way of knowing what was going to happen and, and that it would fall on this week, but it did. And I think that's encouraging. I think that's evidence of God moving us to being hopeful. And you say, well, how in the world could you be hopeful after what's happened? Um, me on my own, I have no idea. Huh, I'll tell you that. I have no idea. But this will give us some hope. And so um, we are going to finish the first chapter of Philippians this morning, and there's a lot of text, so bear with me. Uh, we're going to read through it. We're going to read through it in sections, but right now we're going to start in Philippians, if, um, Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to go from verse 12 um, through verse 18. So, so let's, let's read this, and then, we'll, and then we'll dig in. Verse 12, Paul says to the church in Philippi, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And the latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Fascinating little section. All life for Paul is falling apart. He is sitting in a jail cell. He doesn't know. He has appealed to Caesar. Caesar is going to make a judgment on his case. And if Caesar makes a judgment, it's final. And Caesar could say, you know what? I got up on the wrong side of the bed today, Paul. You're done. Or Caesar could listen and Paul could be free to continue his ministry. And here Paul is saying that I am encouraged, no matter if you have pure motives or, or poor motives, if Christ is preached. So you have good motives. And these people that are preaching with good motives see the gospel as part of God's overarching plan. God is up to something. He's doing something. And the gospel is central to that. They understand that. They're willing to go all in. They're willing to sacrifice everything. And that's hard for us to imagine because a lot of times our lives, we could be a Christian our whole lives and never have to really sacrifice for the gospel, not, not put our lives at risk. So Paul's chains spur people toward the gospel. They spur people to being bold. And they're saying, listen, Paul is sitting in a jail cell. I at least can tell my neighbor who Jesus is and what the gospel's all about. And it ends up giving people courage and excitement. And then you have the bad motives. And these men and women are, are seeing the gospel as an opportunity to further their own name. They're getting a claim. They're getting a fame for what they're preaching. Ironically, they're still preaching the gospel. And they're using Paul's chains as a way to say, see what he did wrong? See, he's getting punished for what he's done because he doesn't know how to do it. I know how to do it. And so they're gaining popularity from it. 
Facebook likes going through the roof, right? That's bad motives. That's poor motives, envy, jealousy. They see the gospel as a means to an end. Paul, and this is important for this section, Paul's motives are so pure that he rejoices when Christ is preached, even if it costs him popularity, or even if it costs him ability, his, his, his uh, ability to further the gospel. So he's in change, and he's saying, I don't care if you have good motives or if you have uh, bad motives. If Christ is preached, I rejoice. The interesting thing is that people's motives to further the gospel are the bond. And this is why we call this, this uh, series Bonded, because there's so many bonds like this that you find out in, in the text. And Paul is saying, guys, my motives are so pure, I don't even care if your motives are bad. I, I just want Christ preached. And I don't care if that means my death. I don't care if that means my life. I want Christ preached. And that motive bonds him to the Philippian church. And they're seeing that motive and they're going, this man is suffering for what he believes Jesus is and can do for us. That's worth getting behind. And it gives them courage. And so from Paul's chains, you have all these people that are sacrificing themselves for the gospel. And it's contagious and it grows. Even with these other people that are trying to do it for their own ambitions. That's a bond of motive. When you see Paul doing something, self-sacrificing, sacrificing himself for the gospel, it gives you courage. And you say, no, I want to sacrifice too. If Paul could do it, I can do it. And it encourages them. That's the motive of the bond motive. So let's go on to the next section, verses 29, or 19 through 29. And kind of start in, in 18b, if you want to be precise. Uh, but chapter 1, 18b through 29. Um, I'm sorry, 26, 19 through 26. Paul continues, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayer and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ that has happened to me, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. There's that sacrifice. Whether by life or by death. For to me, this is the fame, one of the best famous verses, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think a psychologist would look at that statement and say, well, Paul sounds suicidal. I don't think he's healthy mentally. And I think Paul would say, no, 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 I'm not healthy mentally. <laughs> For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he goes on, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But what is more necessary for you that I remain in the body? Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on the account of me. Wow. You have this courage versus shame thing. And, and Paul, is, Paul is wanting um, something very important for the Philippian church. And this is powerful. 
He's wanting their success. He's wanting their maturity to grow in Christ so much that it's not that he's just willing to suffer for it. He's willing to continue suffering for it. And, and according to this text, it seems like Paul has an option. See, I can hit the eject button as the jet is going down on, on fire and about to crash. I can hit the eject button or I cannot. If I hit the eject button, instant presence of Jesus, glory, I'm in heaven, no more pain, no more tears, everything is going to be okay. And you can see his thumb and he goes, wait a minute, but if I keep suffering, you're going to grow. What power. You see, the interesting thing is this, is, this section represents the bond of suffering. And this, the word suffering always terrifies me because it's like, oh, you mean I have this nice little family and this nice little life, and, and what if God says, stand up for your faith and sacrifice yourself? And I'm going, oh, I don't know. I, don't, I want to be with them, but I, I, I'm not sure. And I, it's this constant battle in me. How do I step up? How do I sacrifice? But suffering divides the good in the bad motives. You see that? If, if I'm preaching the gospel for me, I'm not going to suffer for it because suffering for it reduces me. But so, so if I'm preaching the gospel for the sake of the gospel, my life is then forfeit. I can give up myself because as long as the gospel is preached, and we see this in Paul, if you're motivated by selfish gain, you would never suffer for your faith. So this, this suffering bond is fascinating. Now, here's the second thing in this section I want to say. When one person suffers, we all suffer. And this is, to the, this is getting to the heart of why this is such a profound passage for us this morning. One person suffers, we all suffer. See, the church in Philippi are watching Paul suffer, and their heart breaks for him. But it doesn't break and make them, make them afraid. It breaks and gives them courage. So when we see someone suffer for the sake of the gospel, we all suffer. When many suffer, we all suffer. It's the same thing when something amazing happens. And we celebrated several amazing things this morning already. When something good happens, when a little girl conquers this horrible thing called cancer, we can celebrate because the suffering is over and we're, we're encouraged and we're in joy. We, we enjoy that. But when somebody suffers, we all suffer. This incident in, in Sutherland Springs, Texas, it's First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, 26 victims have lost their lives. And one news article said that was half of the congregation. That's pain. That's suffering. And I hear that, and my heart breaks, and I suffer with them. And this is a good thing, even though it's painful, because it can give us courage to further the gospel. So these people didn't die in vain. They were selected because they sat in church. And that's sacrificing themselves for the gospel. 
Now, there's, it's always more complicated than that. And, and the, 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 the person who did this had connections to the church and all that kind of stuff. But they, but they, were, they were victims because of their faith. This is the bond of suffering. And it's not something to take lightly. And it's not something to hide from. Paul is saying, I am willing to continue suffering so that you guys are encouraged. And the church in Philippi are going, well, it, it hurts us, but it's growing us. We're having a prayer vigil for the persecuted church in a couple of weeks. It's in your bulletin. And I cannot stress to you enough. Maybe you can't make it. Maybe you got stuff going on. I get that. But the point of this prayer vigil is to say, they're suffering over there across the globe. And so we suffer. And as painful and as hard as it is to understand what these poor people, these, these poor Christians are going through, it's so important for us to go, it bonds us. Because it gives us courage. And it says if they can suffer that much for the gospel, I can shake my neighbor's hand and say, hey, i got to tell you something that's real important to me. I don't want to freak you out. I'm not going to be weird. But, but you've got to know the most important relationship in my life. Go to that prayer vigil. I think it'll, it'll, it'll expand your perspective. Okay, moving on to the last section. Verse 27 of chapter 1. Excuse me. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Thanks, Paul. That's clear as mud. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Fascinating section. standing firm, suffering for the gospel so that we are united. These are all great sounding things, but as we flip on the TV and we watch the horrors of the world happen in front of us, it's hard to stand firm. And the struggle that Paul is referring to, you can actually read about it in Acts 16. Paul and Silas were afflicted and persecuted for their faith, and the Philippian church was just getting started. And one of the first things that happened in this church, this is how they got started. Paul and Silas were thrown in, in prison, and they were beaten with an inch of their life. And then they were asked by the magistrates, never come back. Can you imagine that if the, the, the mayor of Clifton Park showed up and was like, okay, I know you're here right now, but you need to leave, and you need to never come back. That's, what, that's how the church got started. So the, the Philippian church saw this persecution happen in their, in their infancy, and now they're seeing Paul still suffer. And so Paul is saying, this is the thing that bonds us. You saw me go through it then. I'm going through it now. You're going to go through it too. So let it bond you. Let it, let it fill you with courage. Don't turn away in fear. 
so that we are united. This is an interesting section because Paul is basically giving us the how of, of, of the first two sections. So you might say, well, well what, do you, what do we need to know? Like, let's, let's narrow this down, Josh. You know, Paul's kind of all over the place. What, what do we walk away from? What, with? What do we walk away with? What's the point? What do we need to know? This is it. No matter how bad it gets, there is a reason for hope. No matter how bad it gets, there's a reason for hope. This is one of those things that I want you to tuck away and hold dear. Because there's a reason why there's always a reason for hope. No matter what happens in our world, no matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens in our church, the real personal stuff, there's a reason for hope. And the reason is, is our hope is in the one who makes all wrongs right. Our hope is in the one that loves us so much that he died for us, and then he rose again. He beat death. Our hope is in the one that overcame death, and his name is Jesus. That's the reason for hope. Hope doesn't mean that we're not brokenhearted when horrible things happen to us or to the church in Texas or to the persecuted church across the globe. It doesn't mean that we're not, hope, uh, we're, not, we're not heartbroken. We mourn for these families. I mean, I was just sitting, I was sitting at Panera this morning going over this, and I, and I quickly, I, I came overwhelmed with grief that these families are feeling right now. That's heartbreaking. We mourn for our brothers and sisters who have lost so much. The Philippian church mourned Paul's chains, but it also gave them courage to preach the gospel. As we mourn for these people, we have to understand that we hold hope in our hearts. You might ask yourself, well, why is this so important? The world can overwhelm us if we're not careful. If we don't remind ourselves and each other where our hope is found, the news can overwhelm you. And I felt myself getting drawn in this week. It can overwhelm you. And you can lose hope. And you can fall into this place of, I don't know. I don't know if God, either God isn't a good God because he's letting this happen. Or maybe he's not in control. But, but this can't. This isn't good. You can fall into this place of questioning. And questions are never bad. But... If we hold on to hope through the ups and the downs, people will notice. We take notice. If they take notice, we can give them this hope. We can say, listen, this is, this is not me. It's not just that I'm a super upbeat, you know, tigger kind of person. This is, this is because of what's inside of me. Tigger gets annoying after a while. <laughs> now, let's just dream a minute. Let's just dream a minute. What would it be like that if every time someone around us was overwhelmed, we could break a little piece off of our hope and go, here, here's some hope. I have hope for you. And I can show you why. I, I can tell you why I am hopeful. doesn't mean I'm not crying with you. It doesn't mean I'm not heartbroken. But it means that there is an end coming that will be better than anything you can imagine. Now, what do we need to do? What do we need to do about this? Like walking out just going, great, we're going to have hope. 
Well, there, there's things, there's steps that we can go through. And Paul gives them to him. It, it gives us to, a, to us, I'm sorry. In verse 27, Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that's one of those statements you're like, man, I don't, I don't know what that means. How do I conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel? Um, that, does that mean like I have all the answers? Is that like I download apps on my phone that have all the commentaries and I can like quickly find things and have all the answers? Is that what conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel means? I don't think so. I don't think so because I think if that's what it meant, Paul would have said it. How do we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? Uh, sub, sub note here. The gospel, I say it a lot. Maybe you've been in church a long time and you know what the gospel is. Maybe this is your first time in church and you're going, he keeps talking about the gospel. What's the gospel? If you're sitting there, you don't have to embarrass yourself. 1 Corinthians 15, 2 through 4 lays out the gospel in a very, very simple one sentence. It's, it's Christ's life here on earth. When he came and he lived and, and when he died for us, for our sins, and then he rose again, that's the gospel. This, he, he died for the sins of the world. So when I say the gospel, I mean Jesus died for you, all you good people sitting in church, and he died for everyone else who maybe doesn't know it. That's the gospel. So in order to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, I think what he's saying is you have to act like you're forgiven. You have to act like you've been forgiven. Okay, that doesn't sound too hard. The way that we act like we're forgiven is by forgiving. Because if, if you have been forgiven much and you're the only one who knows if you've been forgiven much, you and God, then you need to forgive much. You need to be able to forgive because you know that you've been forgiven. So conduct yourselves manner worthy of the gospel. Forgive. Forgive people. Start with the person next to you. You don't have to turn and look at them. And work your way out. Forgive people in the church. Forgive people in your, at your work. Wherever it is, be, peop, be, a, be a person that can just forgive. I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm not going to hold that. I see that. I see that thing. I'm not going to hold it against you. Because I've been forgiven much. So that's how we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We forgive each other. And the second thing Paul says in verse 27, the last part of 27, stand firm and be united in the spirit. Well, again, one of those big statements, and you're like, okay, stand firm. Does that mean I just kind of like soldier up? Like, you know, muster a lot of like courage in and of myself? I've tried that. It doesn't work very well. You might be able to convince other people, but inside, stand firm, be united with the spirit. You have to remember the things that bond us. Because if we're going to be united in the spirit, we have to understand what other people are, how they're standing united. If we're going to be connected, we have to understand what connects us. And in just this passage, we have the bond of motive. If you have a pure motive, if you're, if you're trying to advance the gospel for the gospel's sake, not your own sake, you bonded with others in motive. If you're seeing people suffer, and your heart breaks, you're bonded with them in suffering. And when you suffer and people around you's heart breaks, we're bonded together in suffering. This is uniting us. We have the bond of the spirit, which is the last section. The spirit bonds us. 
That's the church, the church in India that's, that's being persecuted and, and people are dying for their faith. That's the same spirit that's in them that sits in me. That's a bond. We we remember these things that bond us together. The spirit is what connects us. So that's how we stand firm. We say, look, people are dying around the world for their faith. If, If that's true, I can stand firm. It encourages me. It's the same spirit that has been moving in Sutherland, Texas, Sutherland Springs, Texas. The spirit is moving there, and he's been moving there, and he's moving there now. And he's administering, he, he's ministering to these broken-hearted people. That bonds us. That's how we stand firm. So we can face the world united. So the first thing is we forgive each other. The second thing is, is we face the world united. When that pastor in India gives his life for the gospel, I stand courageous. And if God chooses to move me to a place where I sacrifice my life for the gospel, you stand courageous. So we forgive each other. We face the world united. And then in verse 28, Paul's, don't, Paul says, don't be afraid. Now, how are we supposed to do that? That's like I remember having nightmares when I was a kid. And my dad would come, you know, walking in, like bumping into things because he can't see and he's exhausted at 2 in the morning. And he's like, what's wrong? And I, I'm afraid. And he says, well, don't be afraid. How am I supposed to do that? How are we supposed to not be afraid? Suffering can be one of those things that overwhelms us if we're not careful. How are we supposed to not be afraid? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of death? I'm afraid of death. I don't want to die. But I have to remember that Jesus conquered death. And for many, many people in this world, death is it. That's all you got. But that's not true for us. We understand that, that we keep going. And, and, and the, the jet is going down in flames, and Paul, the pilot, is sitting there, and he's going, I can hit the eject button and be done. But instead, I'm going to hang on. Don't be afraid of death. Jesus conquered that. Are we afraid of persecution? I'm, I'm afraid of persecution. I don't want to be persecuted. I want to ha- live a happy, comfortable life. And there's nothing wrong with that desire. Jesus walks with us and promises us that he's going to make it right. And he may not make it right in this moment, and he may not make it right in this year, but he promises that he will make it right. And that fear of persecution, you can say, listen, I might get persecuted, but but Jesus says he's going to make it right. And I'm going to trust him in that. We afraid of our ch- for our children? I, I sometimes in that. I turn on the news and I go, I, I don't know. I, do I want them growing up in a world like this? That's a real fear. I have to remember that he loves them more than even I do. And he knows what's best for them even more than I do. And I just want to protect him. I want to hold him close and protect him. Jesus has a better plan than even that. So fear not. Fear not. Forgive each other. Face the world united and fear not. Why do we need to do this? If if you didn't hear before, maybe you, you zoned out or whatever. If we just dreamed for a minute, every time somebody around us is overwhelmed, we could give them hope. And the way that we can give them hope, if we just do this, if we forgive, if we face the world united, 
We mourn for those that are suffering and we celebrate for those that have victories. We face the world united and we're not afraid. What would your office mate think if no matter what happens, you have hope? And it doesn't seem to matter at work who wrongs you or how bad the wrong is. You just forgive them. You just move on. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. Forgive, face the world united, and fear not. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this passage that you carved out for us weeks and weeks ago before we even knew what was going to happen. Lord, we thank you for the victories. We thank you for stories like Little Faith that, that has, she has worked so hard to overcome this illness and you've been given her power and you've given this church power and that's such a wonderful thing to celebrate. We thank you for that. But we also realize there's pain. There's real pain, especially in a lot of hearts of Christians in Texas right now. And God, we lift them up. We pray that you would continue to encourage them. Give them boldness for their faith, even though they've undergone a a tragic incident. Lord, I lift up the persecuted church. There is so much pain in the persecuted church. I almost don't want to watch the videos. I almost don't want to know because it's just overwhelming. But God, give them courage. With every person that, that sacrifices the ultimate for your gospel, allow us to be encouraged by that, even though it's heartbreaking. Allow us to be courageous in the way that we further the gospel in your name. Thank you for Paul and thank you for his stories. Lord, we love you. In your name, amen.